Well, good morning. Glad you can all be with us here today. And a special good morning and welcome to all of the moms who are with us today. I think it's safe to anticipate this wasn't quite the Mother's Day gathering at church that we were expecting. Uh, but I know a lot of us were looking forward to being together in person. But let's be thankful today for West Meadows at Home, where we can still have the ability to worship together today. And so to all the mothers, the grandmothers, the great-grandmothers, the aunts, the, the spiritual mothers that we've been blessed with, we just want to say today that we love you and thank you for all that you do and the difference you make in our lives. As was mentioned today, we are starting a new sermon series called The Power of Prayer. And fittingly so, we're going to start today by talking about the example of a praying mom that we find in the Bible. So let's start with a question here, first of all. Here's the question. Who believes that there is power in prayer? Absolutely. I got a bit of a gathering here with you from the worship team. Every hand is up. If you're watching online, you can use that comment section so we're not just watching church, but we're participating in church. And, and you can perhaps type in there, amen, or you can hit that heart emoji, or you can do the praying hands, which is actually a high five symbol. But we're going to use those praying hands, especially for the remainder of this series. Who believes there is power in prayer? Got a follow-up question for you now. Who believes there is power in a praying mom? <laughs> Absolutely. I think there's power in mom's prayers for sure. And I can tell you this. If you are running from the Lord or straying from the Lord and your mom is praying for you, or, or worse yet, if your mom and your grandma is praying for you, just stop because their prayers are going to find you because there is power in a praying mom. I know that this is true because my mom prayed for me, and I know that I gave her plenty of reasons to pray for me, and that was just last week alone. But in particular, when, when I was a teenager, I know she prayed for me because when she told me, she prayed for me. Secondly, I would come around the corner sometimes, and I would see her looking out the window crying because of me, and I know that those tears included prayers. But I also know that she prayed for me because I can see the impact of her prayers upon my life. You see, I believe that there is power in prayer. And I believe that there is power in a praying mom. And so that's the heart of the series we're starting here today is, is the belief in the power of prayer. Because the Bible declares it, my life testifies to it, and few followers will deny it that there's power in prayer. But here's the challenge. When I look at the example of the practice of prayer that sometimes is exhibited within the followers of Christ, it leads me to wonder if we're convinced of it. Are we convinced that there's power in prayer? See, here's the good news. The good news is that statistically, 94% of people, and, and not just Christians, not just people of faith, 94% of people will pray at some point over the course of three months. Why is that good news? It's good news because it's evidence that people believe that they have a need beyond themselves. That there is something beyond themselves that they're crawling out to. But here's the bad news, is that a majority of those prayers are not much more than a Hail Mary pass in a football game. Where we feel like we're behind and there's only a few seconds left on the clock and it's the last resort that we have. And we have nothing to lose and so we offer up the prayer. See, in this series, it's my hope that I can inspire you. It's also my hope that for some of you, I can convince you, convince your hearts, convince your minds that there is power in prayer. 
Some parts of this series are going to be very practical, especially next week in particular. It's going to feel a bit like a how-to guide. How do I pray? How do I make prayer a regular part of my life? There'll be other parts of the series that will be challenging. It might feel like a Nike commercial. Just do it. But, but when you do it, don't, don't insult God with small, weak prayers, but with bold, persistent prayers. And I hope that in this series that's life-changing as well because you will experience the power of prayer. And that will build a passion within you where the thought in your mind when you pray is what great thing will God do next? And I think we see all these things, the practical, the challenging, the life-transforming in the example of a praying mom in the book of 1 Samuel. In the example of a lady by the name of Hannah who named her son Samuel because the name Samuel means asked of God. And out of that prayer, as she asked God for this son, came one of the greatest prophets that we have in the Bible. A man who would call Israel back to restored worship. A man who would deepen the nation's relationship with God and with each other. And a man who would appoint and anoint the first king of Israel. As I think of all that happened in the life of Samuel because Hannah prayed for him, it, it reminds me of a quote by Andy Stanley, and may this be an encouragement to some of you moms who perhaps are praying and wondering and searching this day. And, and Andy Stanley says this, he says, Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone that you raise. Your greatest contribution may not be something you do, but someone that you raise. And I think we see that in the example of Hannah. Now, we haven't got time to go through the whole story of Hannah. You can find it in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And while we can't read the whole story today, let me provide you with a bit of background to what's happening for the section that we will focus upon. You see, Hannah is one of two women that are married to a man by the name of Elkanah. And Elkanah is a deeply devoted man of God. And he loves Hannah with all of his heart. But the problem is that Hannah is not able to bear him any children. And in a world where, where a woman's entire purpose was really, you know, based upon her ability to provide a family and a home, this brought incredible grief and shame upon her that she was plagued by. And to make matters worse, her inability to have children likely led to Elkanah taking a second wife by the name of Penina so that she could provide heirs for the family, for the future of the family. And sure enough, wouldn't you know it, little Miss Fertile Myrtle Panina there, she's just having kids left and right. And no surprise, this causes tension between the two wives. Because not only is one having children, one isn't, but Panina takes it upon her to flaunt and taunt these kids to Hannah. She torments Hannah with this situation. To the point where Hannah often weeps and, and, and can't eat for days on end. And Elkanah would come and try to reassure her and be like, Hannah, you know that I love you the most. You're my first love. Don't you know that you mean more to me than ten sons? But it brought no comfort to her. And one time when they were up at, at Shiloh worshiping at the house of God, Hannah just went into the house of God and, and threw herself upon the altar. Lord Almighty. If you will only look upon your servant's misery and, and remember me, Lord, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, and I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. Now Eli the priest is off to the side, and he sees this taking place, and, and he sees this woman at the altar, and he, he thinks that she's drunk. <laughs> like some drunk woman has stumbled into the house of God and tripped over the altar. 
And so he comes to, to chase her away, and, which is concerning because either it's concerning based upon the condition of the culture where frequently drunk people are walking into the temple, or, or concerning that the priest didn't know what a person fervently praying looked like. And so he tries to chase her away, but, but as Eli confronts Hannah, she responds to him with a lesson on prayer that, that not only reveals the power of a praying mom, but I think also has lessons for her. There's something that it teaches all of us about how we can approach God in prayer. You see, she quickly corrects Eli's assessment, and she says in verse 15 of 1 Samuel, No, my Lord, I, I am a woman with a broken heart. <laughs> I, I haven't had any beer or wine. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Literally in Hebrew, that phrase means her spirit was sharply pained. Her spirit was sharply pained. See, that's the stuff of authentic, genuine prayer. Her spirit was sharply pained. She was, she was pouring out her heart to the Lord. And, and, and don't hear me suggesting that it only happens in times of bitter sorrow. It, it, it can happen in times of absolute joy and victory as well. And also in the in-between moments of life. But the point is this, is that if you're going to experience the power of prayer in your life, it begins with you being real in your prayers. Not trying to impress God with, with high lofty words where sometimes people feel like they have to muster their best King James voice. The, the thou's, the thy's, and the hallowed be they's. Sometimes we feel like we need to do that. Now if that's your natural tendency... Great. There's a, an elder of a church I used to be a part of by the name of Rob, and he was an amazing man of prayer. Whenever he prayed, I loved listening to him, in part because he had this great South African accent, and his words were like poetry as he prayed and used all of his old-style words and language, but it just fit, and it was authentic, and you could not only hear his prayers, but you could feel when he prayed. And if that's your style, fantastic. But I think more often than not, people feel... Like they need to open the thesaurus app on their phone to find the right words that will be honoring to God. But here's what I want you to know. God's not interested in being impressed. God's interested. God desires your authenticity. And sometimes when we're authentic, our words will be limited. Sometimes our words will be very basic. Sometimes they'll be very emotional. And when they're emotional, sometimes they'll be hard and ugly. But have you read the Psalms? The Psalms quite often, it's those types of words. Sometimes the psalmist begins a psalm with one fist in the air, shaking it at God. But as he pours out his heart to God, he ends the prayer with both hands praising God. Because he started from a place of authenticity. So there have been times in my life and times when Nadine and I together have experienced our spirits being sharply pained. At times that are too personal to go into detail with, but I can tell you that in those moments, all that we could do was embrace and pray. And sometimes our prayers were prayers of silence because the silence and the absence of words were simply filled with tears, but it was still praying. Why? Because our hearts and our souls sought to be open and authentic as they reached out to God. Remember, your prayers are not going to surprise God. They're not going to offend God, and they're certainly not going to inform God of anything. He already knows what's going on. He already knows what you're thinking. He, he knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're thinking of doing. But like any good parent, he wants you to bring that to him. 
to bring it to him with honesty. And when you do, when you honestly bring your heart to God, you have the opportunity to experience the power of prayer in your life because you are ripe for a miracle in that moment. But, but here's a, the tricky part that comes next, is that after we share our heart with God, we need to be faithful to wait for God to move. You see, once we authentically share our heart with God, we then need to take heart that God has heard your prayer. Hannah corrects Eli. Eli stands corrected. He understands that she's, she's not some drunk woman, but she's a woman who's desperate for God. And so he responds to her, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And then we see something change in Hannah. Her demeanor is completely different. She, she arrived at the altar weeping and starving and defeated. But verse 18 says, Then she went away from the altar of Lord, having shared her heart. She went away from the altar of Lord, and she had something to eat. And her face was no longer downcast. You see, her problem still remained. She, there was no immaculate conception that happened at the altar that day. The problem still remained. But the whole mood changed. Her face now showed hope. She had appetite that had returned to her. She's able to rejoin her family and even able to endure the taunts that undoubtedly kept coming her way for months to stay. See, this is an example of what Paul referred to as the peace that surpasses understanding. He talked about this in Philippians chapter 4 where he says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, in every situation, openly share your heart. Pour out your heart in every situation. Present your request to God. And then what happens? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart. It will guard your mind in Christ Jesus. This doesn't mean that we will have a worry-free life. It doesn't mean the problem is instantly removed from us and that we'll have no more concern for troubles. But it promises that if we have the ability to speak directly to God, that when we do, that we have just spoken to the maker of heaven and earth, that we have just interacted with the all-powerful, the all of one and all authority, the one who is in control of all situations, and because he has heard us, because he loves us, we can be confident that he will respond to us. So I asked you earlier, do you believe that there's power in prayer? Let me ask you another question. Do you know that God answers every prayer? Again, we can put in the comment section, yes. Or maybe you want to put a question mark and be authentic. Maybe you want to put an amen or put those high five prayer hands back up there. But do you believe that God answers every prayer? If you doubt it, I, I wonder if it's because we don't like the timing or the way that he answers at times. But perhaps we'd be confident that he knows what's best. So here's a follow-up question for you. Have you ever prayed for something without a preconceived notion of what the best solution is? That's pretty hard to do because we, we tend to know what we want the outcome to be. And so when we pray, we pray with a preconceived notion of what the right response is. And often, the words we pray will reveal that. Saying, God, I've done the math in my head for you. God, I know you're busy, so I saved you the trouble. You don't need to concern yourself with this one, God. I've got a plan. I just need you to bless the plan that I prayed. 
but then God rejects our master plan. And, and what is the response? Well, prayer doesn't work. I prayed and nothing happened, so, so God didn't hear me. I prayed and nothing happened, so God doesn't answer prayer. Unanswered prayers. Remember that song by Garth Brooks? <laughs> Unanswered prayers. Probably one of his most famous songs. Based upon a true life story that happened for him and his wife. And if you're not familiar with it, or if you are and just want a country refresher, it's a story about Garth and his wife as they go to a football game. And at that game, they run into his old high school flame. And in that moment, maybe you've experienced a similar situation. You know what it's like to have your mind race backwards to those days. And you remember how much you liked that girl back in the day. And how back in that time you prayed, God, make it last forever. And I'll be happy. I'll be content. I'll ask for nothing ever again. Obviously, it didn't happen in Garth's life because there he is standing beside a different woman who's his wife. But with the perspective of time and maturity, he says, I I guess the Lord knows what he's doing after all. Because sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Because then as he walks away, he looks at his wife and he thanks God. He looks at the blessings in his life and he thanks God. Now, I don't mention that because I think we should get our theology or marriage advice from a country song. It's probably not the best place to look for those things. But I mention that because I believe God answers every prayer. Every prayer. Just maybe not the way we want in the moment. But he answers every prayer. Sometimes he says, yes, Mark, you and I are in tune, you're, you're in praying in line with my will, so Mark, yes, 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 is the response. Sometimes he'll be like, Mark, I see where you're going, I'm with you, but just not quite yet, just wait. And other times he's like, Mark, what are you thinking? <laughs> no, are you crazy? So many of mine probably come back in that fashion. But here's what we need to be. We need to trust that God is higher up the mountain than we are. We need to trust that God can see further into future than we can. We need to trust that God hears us, yes. He wants to bless us, yes. But he also knows the impact that every yes has and the ripple effect that it has into the pond of humanity. You see, Hannah shared, authentically shared her heart with God. Then she got up and she moved forward, taking heart that God had hurt her. She shared her heart. She took heart. But then what she did next is probably the most difficult. What she did next is also one of the most important things we can do to experience the full power of prayer. Is she gave back from her heart. You see, in time, God answered Hannah's prayer. He gave her a son. She named him Samuel, which means asked of the Lord. And in a very strange Mother's Day twist... When Samuel had been weaned, probably about three years of age, she followed through on the promise that she had made to God back in that initial prayer. And she brought Samuel to Eli, to the temple, where he would spend his life in full-time service to God. And we read this in verse 27, 28. I prayed for this child, she told Eli, and the Lord has granted me what I asked. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And from that point on, she would see him once a year 
when she and her family would go up to Shiloh to worship God. And she would bring with her a new tunic for him to wear because he would have outgrown the old one. And every day, I believe, she continued to pray for him. It's a strange twist in the story, isn't it? To want something so much for so long, then to receive it and to give it back. Have you ever prayed for something that you really, really wanted and then you got it? Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe like Garth Brooks or, or many, many other young adults in, in, in the world, you're, you're praying for that special someone, that, that boyfriend or that girlfriend that could turn into a partner for the rest of your life. And you pray every night, and then there she is, and you know she's the one. Maybe you prayed for a new house and received it, improved health, and, and a miracle took place. Or, or maybe like Hannah, you, you've been praying to be a parent. Please don't hear me saying that we shouldn't pray for these things. If, if these are the things that are on our hearts and our minds, as I mentioned previously, God already knows about them, and he wants us to bring these things to him. And so the problem is not that we pray for these things, but here's the question. When you received that thing that you so really, really wanted, how did you respond? I imagine joy was part of it. I imagine celebration, a feeling of complete, I'm complete now, was part of it. That's fine, but here's the danger in that. Here's the danger to watch out for, is that when the gift becomes more important than the gift giver. We need to be careful the gift doesn't become more important than the gift giver. Be careful not to worship the gift, the new partner, the bigger home the improved health, the child, over the one who is the giver of all good gifts. See, in Luke chapter 17, Jesus is on his journey to Jerusalem, and he comes across ten men who are, who are sick for many, many lives with leprosy. As he comes across them on the road, he, from a distance they call out to him, Jesus, Master, have pity upon us. Sounds like a prayer. Essentially calling out to God in need. And it says in, in, in Luke 17 that Jesus healed all of them. And they all raced off to celebrate. Who could blame them? What an amazing change. Their lives are completely different now. Of course they're going to go off and celebrate. But when one of them saw that he had been healed and he ran off, he, he stopped. And instead he ran towards Jesus. He ran towards Jesus. He had enjoyed the gift of health he'd be given, but he ran towards Jesus to praise God. And he fell at his feet, and he, and he thanked Jesus. And Jesus asked him, where are the other ten? Where are the other nine? Weren't there, weren't there ten of you? And in verse 18, 19 of Luke 17, he says, has no one returned to praise God? And then the man who was at his feet just being healed, he says, I don't know, Lord. I'm the one. And Jesus says to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. What does that mean? You see, all of these lepers had received healing that day. They all received an answer to prayer. They all received a gift. But only one of them received a greater gift. You see, that phrase, your faith has made you well, can also be translated and is used elsewhere in the Gospels as your faith has saved you. And in praising God, that man not just found healing for his body, 
He found healing for his soul. Why? Because he was grateful for the gift, yes. He, he was thankful for the answered prayer, absolutely. But the gift giver had captured his heart, is why. You see, sometimes God doesn't answer prayers the way we want him to. Because he knows what it will do to our heart. And above all else, the most important thing for us and for him is to preserve our relationship with him. That is the most power, paramount, is that a relationship between us and God is of the most paramount importance. And if God has blessed you with the answers to prayers, if, if you have received from your prayers, maybe, maybe you've received improved health, give it back to God. Learn to honor God with the days that he has given you, with the abilities that you have. If you have prayed for like, like a new car, find ways to honor God with it. Understand from Scripture that it's his anyways. He's just letting you use it for a while. If you've prayed for a child to turn their life around, in addition to those prayers, as difficult as that may be, understand that that child has never left God's hand. He's never rescinded ownership of that child and released that child back to God. Trusting God to continue to pray. Understanding that God is moving in that child's life as well. Maybe we could be more like Hannah. To take whatever God blesses us with, whatever he places in our hands, and commit it back to God. To bless him and to thank him for it. See, Hannah poured out her heart to God. And then she believed with all of her heart that God heard her. And then she gave her heart to God in praise. In response to all that, when we get to 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah prayer, prays a remarkable prayer that, that you can read on your own. And it's so remarkable that even, even Mary, the mother of Jesus, used parts of Hannah's prayer in her thanksgiving to God when it was announced to her that she was going to give birth to the Savior. You see, but after Hannah so selfishly committed Samuel to the Lord's service, we, we see that after this prayer and then in verse 21 of chapter 2, we find the rest of the story. Where it says in verse 21, the Lord was gracious to Hannah, and she gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now these five more children Hannah had by no means would ever replace Samuel. How could they? How could one child ever replace another? They, they didn't replace Samuel, but they were further blessings that God bestowed upon her. See, God gave her five other children to raise so that she could be a mother every single day with these other five children. All the while knowing that her firstborn was in service to God for his whole life and how proud she must have been of him as well. Because he was not only an answer to her prayers, but he grew to become a man of prayer. And as her prayers had great impact upon Samuel's life, Samuel would have a lasting impact upon the nation of Israel. God wanted to bless her, and when she poured out her heart, and she believed in her heart, and she trusted in her heart, and then she worshiped from her heart, God honored her, blessed her, and she experienced the power of prayer that has lasted throughout generations. You know, God wants to bless you too. He wants to bless you too. Maybe, maybe not in the way that you think, maybe not in the timing that you hope for, but he wants to bless you too. As Paul shares in Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, more than all we could ever imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. But to him be the glory. Amen?
Amen. You see, there is power in prayer, and there is great power in the power of a praying mom. And so thank you, moms, grandmas, great-grandmas, aunts, those people who are called to be a spiritual mother to so, so many. We love you, and we're thankful for you. Thank you for pouring out your heart to God. You are shaping us, and you are shaping the events in our lives. Thank you for believing that God has heard your prayers. We see you walking inspires us. Thank you for giving your heart to God and to us. When we see you do this, we know that you're worshiping him, and it makes an impact. You're worshiping him for the sake of him and for the sake of our lives. And through you, and through your prayers, we experience the abundant blessing of God. May this be the attitude in the heart that we all strive for as we seek to experience the power of prayer. And so let me leave today by challenging you with this. If you are not satisfied with the condition of your prayer life, whether with the, with the power and the results of it or with the frequency and the efficacy of it, let me challenge you to start today examining what would it look like for me to choose to pray, to take that time, to carve out a moment, a few seconds even, to, to pray to God regularly as part of every day going forward for this series but to do so with an attitude of authentically sharing your heart with God. And then after you pray, believing in your heart that he has heard your prayer and moving forward, prepared to praise God as he responds to the power of prayer. Would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you are our Heavenly Father, the one who loves us and knows us and and wants to pour out good blessings upon us, Lord, but you, you beckon us to come to you with authenticity and with faith and with openness. And I pray, God, that those who are listening right now would would just feel the need and the conviction to do so. That as we just start here on day one, that throughout the next number of weeks of this series, that we would have a new experience of prayer, not just in a sense of uh, of the practical how-to, not just in the challenging part that we seize the challenge and move forward in it, but Lord, may we experience the life-transforming power of your presence in our lives because we've experienced the power of prayer. And today, Lord, in particular, we thank you for moms, for the moms I know who pray and pray and pray for us. Lord, I thank you that you've placed that upon so many moms' hearts. They have made a difference in this world and in our lives, in the events of history, Lord. God, thank you for them. May they feel your pleasure. May they feel our love. Lord, bless them and honor them this day and each day going forward. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.